Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Caleb Kaltenbach was born in 1978. His parents divorced when he was only two years of age. His mother came out as gay. She began living with another woman. His father came out as gay several years later. And so, bouncing back and forth between those two households, Caleb was raised by three gay parents. His mother took him to glad meetings. He marched with his parents in gay pride parades. And he was sometimes on the receiving end of hatred by some Christians. During one gay pride parade, some so-called Christians sprayed water and urine on the marchers. And Caleb asked, Mother, why do they treat us this way? And she replied, Son, they are Christians, and Christians hate gays. And Caleb knew that he never wanted the name Christian to be associated with him. In high school, however, he attended a Bible study, but only to learn how to disprove the Bible. However, through that study, he ended up believing in Jesus. And eventually, he surprised his parents by coming out as a Christian. And then he began to experience their rejection and their hostility toward him. Caleb eventually became a pastor, and he is today. And he eventually came to believe the truth, as the scripture declares, that God intends marriage to be between one man and one woman for life, and that it is God's will for sexual expression to be confined to the marriage bond. He describes this and other things in his book entitled Messy Grace. And it's from that book that I take some of the thoughts that I share with you tonight. Roman numeral one in your sermon outline. Christians live in tension between grace and truth. Now tension means that there's some stretching or some straining going on between these two poles. We're trying to hold on to grace and truth at the same time. But it's not easy. Some Christian denominations and some individual Christians are all in for grace, but they abandon the truth of Scripture. Others are all in for the truth, 
but they abandon the grace of God, which is for all people. Now, both of those extremes are unbiblical, they are unchristlike, and they are attempts to conform to the world rather than to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. A renewed mind holds on to both grace and truth simultaneously. Roman numeral two, we live in tension between acceptance and approval. People often confuse the two. The world confuses the two. And it's complicated. Because when, when we as Christians look at the LGBTQ community, we see wrong behavior. But those within the community see that label as an identity, not primarily as behavior. But this is who they are. And so to find fault with the behavior as we're wont to do, and as the Bible does, they view as a denial of their identity, as a personal attack. There is a difference, however, between acceptance and approval. Some say there isn't, but biblically, it's very clear. Letter A, acceptance is to receive willingly, to regard as good or proper, and we have a theological term for this, a biblical term, justification. We are apprised righteous before God. We are declared right before God on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's true for all people, not just for Christians. All the world is declared righteous as the scripture declares, as Paul declared in the reading read just shortly ago. St. Paul writes, point number one, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. The Lutheran confessions often use the term acceptance, meaning acceptance by God, as a synonym for being justified by God. We're accepted on the basis of Christ's shed blood for us. And point number two, God's acceptance of me depends not on what I've done, but on what Christ has done for me. And number three, Christ has already accepted the whole world as righteous on account of Christ. And as we've said time and again, that doesn't mean that the whole world believes that. That doesn't mean that the whole world has personally received by faith that righteousness that is already theirs in Christ. It's for them. But you don't believe it until you realize it's already done for you. It's what we call objective justification. It's outside of us. It's independent of our faith. God has reconciled the world to himself through Christ, whether you believe it or not. And when you believe it, that reconciliation becomes yours personally. But that's not approval. Letter B, approval is throwing your support behind someone's decision. It is to commend or affirm what someone does. It's to commend or affirm what someone does. And St. Paul writes to young Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Approval's not automatic. 
It's not a done deal. It's something you earn. Point number two, approval involves affirming a person because of what they've done right. Well, Roman numeral three, if it's not obvious to you yet, it should be. Grace is a messy business. It is a messy business because all of us are works in progress. And someone once wrote, it's okay to not be okay, and that should characterize the church. This is a place where it's okay to not be totally okay. We're simultaneously saint and sinner. All of us are struggling. All of us are works in progress. And, and it, it reminds me of what Jesus said about the beam in one's own eye before one tries to doctor the speck out of someone else's. We must look to ourselves humbly before we speak. What did St. Paul write in Romans 7.15? He says, I do the very thing I hate. How many drug addicts could say the same? How many people addicted to porn could say the same? Christians who struggle could say the same. This should be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Otherwise, what we do, we, we raise up a congregation of fakes. People who claim to be one thing, but secretly are something else. That's not our job. Our job is to be honest about who we are and how we struggle. Now, I'm not saying you get up in front of the congregation and bleed all over everybody. But there ought to be a time and a place where we can be honest with one another, with someone else, who will graciously listen and speak God's forgiveness to us. All of us need that. That's part of my job, is to speak God's forgiveness to you and your struggles as well, is just make an appointment and we do that. Let her be. God's love does not wait for others or, or us to improve. While we were still sinners, Paul writes, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to reach a certain level of sanctification before he thought, okay, now they qualify for my self-sacrifice. No, that's not how it works. Let her see. The gospel is not about who God is against. It's about who God is for. Now, that's not the law. The law speaks against all of us, and we dare not muzzle it. We don't know our need for Christ without the law condemning us. But the gospel's different. The gospel is God for us, and only for us. And that message must predominate in all that we do and say. It must predominate in every sermon. It must predominate in every Bible class. It must predominate in every relationship. Because the end is the good news. It is the forgiveness of sins. The law simply prepares us for it. See, number one, people are not the enemy, they are the mission. 
They are the mission. And when I think of the woman at the well, point number two, Jesus wanted the woman at the well to own her past, to own her past. Go call your husband, right? Sir, I have no husband. You're right in saying you have no husband. And the others you've had, they were not your husband either. But go call them. Bring them here. Her past need not keep her from him. Roman numeral four. We are called to maintain the balance between these two concepts, grace and truth, the gospel and the law. Letter A, love is based on acceptance, not on agreement. Love is not based on agreement. Even gay people will sometimes disagree with those they love. If they can disagree with those they love, so can we. We can still say, I love you unconditionally, even though I disagree with some things you do. It's perfectly acceptable, perfectly in line with how all of us are. And let her be, always reaffirm the relationship. Point number one, my love for you is not based on your sexuality, it's not based on your gender identity, it's not based on your sobriety. My love for you is a given because God's love for you is a given. Whatever you've said to me changes nothing about our relationship. The relationship is impervious to your behavior. Number three, God loves you no matter what and so do I. These are just examples of of how to keep these two realities, grace and truth, intention, to hold on to both and not abandon one for the sake of the other. That's not biblical. That's not Christ-like. Point number four, I want our relationship to be a safe place where you can tell me everything. As Christians, we will not always agree with someone's life choices. But that does not change the core of the relationship. Our love for them is not based on their life choices. Our love for them is based on God's unconditional love for them in Christ. And over time, they will begin to see that our love for them does not change. Just as God's love for you and me does not change. How comforting is that? The relationship is on a real foundation the foundation of Christ. Christ calls us to be compassionate without compromise. Compassionate without compromising the truth. Our job is to hold on to both grace and truth, and the balance between the two is never easy. If it were easy, we would not have the issues that we do. It's easy to be on the side of grace with no truth, or it's easy to be on the side of truth with no grace. 
Holding on to both of them simultaneously is much more demanding. But that is what we're called to do as followers of Christ. And like Jesus, we're on the side of grace as well as on the side of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.